we're going to be talking about our attitude. There's somebody that needs to hear this message. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about our attitude. But I want you to understand, as we talk about our attitude, it's really who we are when we talk about our attitude. How many of you, somebody said to you, you've got a bad attitude? Come on, let me see your hands right now. Yeah. Now point to somebody that's got a bad attitude. Go ahead. That's fine. Yeah, I saw that. Wow, bitter. You guys are bitter. What's up? Uh, <laughs> John Maxwell defines attitude this way. He says it's an inward feeling expressed by our behavior. In other words, your attitude is who you really are. And, and I've learned something about attitude. Who we really are is expressed the most when we're under pressure. If you really want to know who somebody is, turn the heat up a little bit. And when that heat gets turned up, whoever you are in the inside, it usually bubbles up a little bit. When everything's fine, it's no big deal. We can all put on our happy Jesus face, I call it. But when things are hard, that's when the attitude, who we are on the inside, really begins to come out. And we're going to be talking about in the next few weeks how important that is. The Bible talks about it a lot, but we need to get it right. Here's the deal. I'm a pilot. I know Ronnie's a pilot. There's probably a few pilots in the room. But there's, a, there's actually an instrument in the cockpit of an airplane that's called an attitude indicator. It's actually an instrument, attitude indicator. And here's the deal. The attitude indicator tells you whether your airplane is up, down, sideways, whatever. It shows you. It's an instrument that tells you about what position your airplane is facing. And here's what's interesting. If the attitude of the airplane is up, what does that mean? means it's climbing. That means it's going up. Man, you guys are excellent. Uh, but if the attitude of an airplane is facing down, what does that mean? Trouble. Trouble. <laughs> Very good. Here's the deal. If you hold the attitude, if you hold the nose of the airplane down long enough, what's eventually going to happen? Very good. You're going to crash. Eventually, that bad attitude, that downward attitude is going to lead you into a wreck with the ground or some kind of object. That's just the truth. Very simple, very simple, but the principles of attitude apply to our human lives exactly the same way. So here's the thing. If you've got a bad attitude, you're going to crash. If you've got a bad attitude and you live with a bad attitude, you're, you're not going to end up going anywhere you want to go. And I want to tell you, we have all been around people that had a negative or a bad attitude. How much fun are they to be around, huh? Yeah, not much fun at all. Why? Because when you have an attitude like that, it makes not only you miserable, but everybody around you miserable. I want you to listen to what the Scripture has to say about that. Proverbs 23, verse 7, one of the shortest verses I know, and it also is one of the most plain. For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. I'll say it again. As a man or a woman thinks in their heart, so is he. In other words, what you think on the inside is going to be reflective of how you live. If you think life is going to be miserable, guess what? It's going to be miserable. Why? Please understand me today as I say these things, folks. Your attitude is the rudder of your life. So if your attitude's bad, it's going to point you in the wrong direction. How many of you heard me talk the other day about me putting the car in the ditch looking at a deer? Do y'all remember that? Oh, that was awesome. Blessing of life. 
Uh, almost did it again. <laughs> uh, we were coming home a couple of nights ago. Trish and I were in the car driving, and I saw eyes out in the pasture, and I thought, I better see what that is. It's very important. And I just started to turn the car, and she goes, don't you do it again. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, she, like, knew. I mean, I, like, eh, it just barely, just, you know. And she goes, don't you do it again. Because here's the truth. If your attitude is focused in the ditch, guess where you're going? That's the way it is. And so we need to get our attitudes right. And here's the deal. I I thought it was very appropriate over the next few weeks to talk about this. Because we're in a season, we're going into the season of Thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving is all about your attitude. So you can be thankful even when things are going wrong. It depends on where your heart is. See, attitude also is really about focus. What are you focused on? What are you looking at? I'm going to ask Crystal to come up this morning and share. Um, She met with me a couple of months ago and said, Pastor, God's really laid something on my heart. I'm supposed to give my testimony. And when we talked about her testimony and she and I spent some time together, I realized this is going to be great to be in this message today. So, you guys give Crystal a hand. It's on. It should be on. Now, understand. Check, check. Should be on. Yeah, it's on. Um, Most people's number one fear is doing exactly what she's doing right now. There are some of you in this room, you would literally rather die than do this. If that's you, raise your hand. See, some of you feel that way, but you're so scared to raise your hand, you wouldn't do it. Right? So this takes a whole lot of bravery. But we're going to talk today. Now listen, what did I pray about over here a few minutes ago? The who? Are you the one today? Maybe you're the one. So Crystal, tell us. This will be easier the second time. Yeah, it's easier the second time, right? No, it's not. No, it's not? Now remember microphone, right? Yes. You're doing fantastic. Thanks. Um, Tell me a little bit about your family growing up. Um. I, um, I was raised by a mother with an alcoholic father that leads to parenting problems. I was raised by a father who never knew his biological father. Um, I didn't ever feel like I wasn't loved, but it wasn't, um, something I was shown a lot. Uh, we never attended church ever. I knew who God was. I knew that he died for my sins and I knew you were supposed to pray before supper. That was it. Um, it wasn't something that we talked about. And as an adult, I know that wasn't something that was part of their life because they didn't feel like God was there for them. Um, we attended Bible camp every summer. But that was more about going and swimming in the creek and hanging out with your friends and mom and dad getting a week away from us. It was never about growing closer to God or my family growing closer to God. Um, As a teenager, I attended church with my friends occasionally, but never had a relationship with God or knew anything. What I know about God, I've learned as an adult. Um, Well, when you graduated, got married, how did that go? Not so well. Um, I got in a relationship in high school, very, very young. Um, My sophomore, junior year of high school, all the way until I was 22 years old. Um, 
it started with abuse. Um, not just you're stupid and you're not good enough, like shove me down the stairs, punch me, hit me, um, through the entire marriage, the entire time. And I would pray at night that he would die, that he wouldn't make it home. And I knew that that was not what I should be praying for, but in my heart, that's what I wanted. I did not care that that wasn't what God was going to give me. I knew that's what I wanted. I knew that's what I needed. And I knew if God really loved me, he would do that for me. And you pray that for two years and that doesn't happen, you turn away from God real quick because he didn't save you. And um, I later found out that my parents knew the kind of abuse I was going through and they didn't come to my rescue. So not only did I have hardness for God and distrust because he wasn't there to save me, I had hardness and distrust for my own parents because if God can't save you and your own parents can't save you, who's going to save you? And um, I kind of had given up all of my hope. I was very, very hard. I, um, when somebody tells you you're worthless and you're stupid and you start believing those things over a period of time and you believe that you don't, you don't deserve anything good and if God's not stopping those things, then you must deserve them because he's supposed to be this person that brings all the happiness into the world. He's not supposed to let bad things happen to you. Um, I finally decided when I was 22 that I was going to leave him. It took being almost thrown out of a moving vehicle going down the highway for me to decide that I was going to leave. And still yet at that time, I didn't have trust for God and I didn't have trust for my family. I just knew that I had two perfect little boys that their mom was going to die if she didn't get away from there. And that's all I knew. And that was when I made the decision to leave. And um, still yet, I didn't trust God because as far as I knew, he hadn't helped me with that. That was all me. That was everything that I had done. Um, I had been divorced about a year, and it was kind of, um, I thought things were getting better. He kicked the door down to my apartment, where I thought I was safe, held me down on the floor, and began choking me to death. Um, and when I mean choking me to death, he was on top of me, with his hands around my neck, in my face, telling me he was going to kill me. And I don't know if it was crazy or it was God, but I looked him right in the face and I said, you're not man enough, bring it on. Um, he was pulled off of me, police officers came. As I sat at the table with a police officer, writing up the report 
um, for my restraining order. On the couch sat another police officer reading a book to my two little boys. And in that moment, I realized that was the first positive impact that my one and a half year old and three year old had had from a male in their life at all. And that's when I realized that I had to change. And you would think when somebody tells you they're going to kill you and you face death, you'd attend church the next Sunday. No, did not. Didn't even cross my mind because I still had so much hardness in my heart. I knew God wasn't going to do me any good. I knew it. I'm hard-headed. Until he proved otherwise, I didn't have anything to gain from God. Um, I was, and we went on and I put on my happy face. Most people that know me very well now don't know that I went through this. And so even when they know, they find out that I went through abuse in my first marriage, the very first response is, I can't believe you'd let that happen. That's not who you are. It's not who I am. I don't live there anymore. But it took me some time to get there. I, um, about two years, I didn't change. I didn't think there was any reason to change. Um, I met Aaron. I didn't share this in first service. I met Aaron through mutual friends on a blind date that I turned down for a month because I didn't have any reason to go on a blind date. That blind dates are just not something you want to do. And I think that um, the friend that talked me into the blind date, that was, God put her in my place because she knew that I needed him because he was the positive male impact that I needed that I'd never had, and that my boys needed, that they would have never got otherwise. Um, when we got married, we didn't instantly start going to church. And we, we knew that we wanted um, to raise our family, to raise our boys in a positive Christian environment. He had grown up in church, but just being a teenager and lifestyle changes, he didn't attend church anymore. And... Um, I started running, and Ramona Haney, I don't know if all of you know Ramona, but she's my fit friend. We do everything together. We always adventure together. We started running, and the both of us can run a long time, and she can talk a whole long time about Jesus and going to church. And Saturday after Saturday after Saturday, we would get up and run, and she would just talk nonstop about Jesus and how we needed to get to church and how we needed to be there, and God was going to help us and on and, and I finally gave in because she's very persistent. She's a tiny little thing, but she's wiry. And my very first Sunday here, the sermon was on hardness of the heart. Sat up there in my pew, and I wanted to throw up. Because I knew he was talking to me. He didn't know me. I'm not really sure how. But I knew he was talking to me. And I took that whole sermon. And I didn't change immediately. None of us do. And I realized that for me to be who the world sees on the outside, 
I had to give away all of that hardness inside of me. Hardness for a man who tried to kill me, tried to throw me out of a moving vehicle. And I'll tell you right now, if you've been there, that's a whole lot of hardness. Hardness for a family who didn't step in and save me. Hardness for a God who didn't step up when I thought I should have saw him. And so making that change and for me to stop fighting against God and opening myself up and saying, okay, we'll do it your way this time, has completely changed who I am on the inside to match who I really am on the outside. Because I'm not upset and hurting on the inside anymore. And I don't have to hold on to that hate and that hardness because I gave it away. And that completely changed how I feel about everything. Wow. So, are you the one today? When, when we begin to understand that God is real and Jesus said, Jesus said his job description is to set the captives free, but also to heal the brokenhearted, you're an example of that. Because he did. And Aaron, I want to commend you, bro. We want to commend you. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to add to that? Give her a hand, y'all. Come on. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. So how do you change that kind of, you know, when you see somebody that's gone through that or something similar and the attitude is like this? How does God take that and change that around? The first step, and you defined it, and you said it exactly right, Crystal, is that you got to submit to him. You talked about surrendering to him because she held on to that hurt. See, nobody saw what was going on on the inside because we put on what I call our happy Jesus face. And we let the world see what we wanted to see, but on the inside, we're broken. And I want you to know today, folks, that's not okay. Jesus says, I came to set the captives free. That's salvation. We understand. He sets us free. And we get to go to heaven when we receive him. That's awesome. But he also says that he came to heal the brokenhearted. And listen to me, that's here. That's here. And I just want to tell you, over the years of being your pastor, I've seen so many people that had a hard time. They wanted to receive Jesus as Savior, but letting him be Lord and letting him come in and heal them was very difficult to do. And so what we're talking about today, I'm not just giving you steps that I think are fancy and sweet and nice little words. These are things that will change your life forever. The Word of God does that. So let's spend these next few moments, and we're going to talk about that. You're going to see this word, this word, these seven attitude axioms. And you see that word axiom, and what that word axiom mean is tr- means is truth. So these are seven truths about attitude, okay? And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, this week we're going to talk about what happens with your attitude. Next week we're going to talk about how to build a good attitude, because here's the thing. It, it took years for some of you to get where you are. And God can heal you in a moment, 
But a lot of times there's a process involved. And God wants you to cooperate with him. And so next week we're going to start talking about how to build that. Okay? Amen? So here is axiom number one. Our attitude determines our approach to life. Our attitude determines our approach to life. We receive from our life experience exactly the attitude with which we approach it. In other words, a good attitude receives good results while a poor attitude receives poor results. How many of you have ever walked into a restaurant and said, I don't like this place already? You ever done that? You know what? If you walk into a restaurant and go, I don't like this already, you had a bad day, whatever, guess what? It doesn't matter what they serve you, you're not going to like it. Okay? Why? Because your expectation is it's not going to be any good. And, and that's just the way it works. So if you walk in immediately and you understand that your attitude is going to define your approach, it's absolutely true. Look at number two, the second truth. Our attitude, and this is very important, defines our relationships with people. You know, Crystal was walking around with, with that brokenness in her heart, and so that attitude that she had from her experience defined how she dealt with everybody else around her. Those of you that have been hurt, build up a wall. And when you meet people or walk into relationships, you'll let people only so close why? Because of what's happened to you in the past. And so you had an a, have an attitude that's hard. And it's protective. It's understandable. But it's not God's plan for you. It's not God's plan. Jesus modeled this truth in his life. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, he says this. Watch. Therefore, however you want people to treat you, so treat them. But here's the thing. If your attitude stinks, how are you going to treat people? Pretty poorly, and guess what? That's probably what's going to come back to you. Some of you have faulty thinking that you feel like you can treat people poorly, and then when they don't respond and treat you well, you're shocked. I'll say that again. Some of you treat people poorly, and then when they don't respond well, you're shocked. Who's the problem? Yeah. I mean, not me specifically, but I mean, you know. Yeah. It's on the giver of that. Jesus talks about that right there. Jesus' expression of that truth was lived out in his servant attitude towards other people. Jesus loved people regardless of who they were. And he didn't expect anything from anyone. It's amazing to me. I'm going to tell you a truth here that I think is fascinating. Maybe it's just interesting to me. I know Marty thought it was interesting first service. Some of you might find this very interesting. Listen to this. This is a Stanford Research Institute study, and it says this about business. Check this out. The money you make in any business endeavor is determined only 12.5% by how much knowledge you have. 12.5% by how much knowledge you have. And 87.5% by your ability to deal with people. In other words, it doesn't matter how smart you are. What matters is how well you deal with other people. As a matter of fact, some of the smartest people I know, I don't want to be around. Right? They're difficult to deal with. So it doesn't matter how smart you are. It matters about your relationship. As a matter of fact, um, we've all grown up knowing that people had an IQ. Everybody know what an IQ is? 
If you don't, I'm scared for you. But you know, we know what IQ is. IQ is your intelligent quotient. That means how smart you are. You know what they found out is more important in life than an IQ? Is your, is your relational intelligence. In other words, how well you get along with other people is more important than how smart you are. I've fired some pretty smart people in my life because they couldn't get along with others. It's critical. Jesus modeled that. Maxwell has a saying, and many of us have heard it many times, people don't care how much they know, how much you know until they know how much you care about them. And it's true. Let's look at the next truth, truth number three. Often, our attitude is the only difference between success and failure. Often, our attitude is the only difference between success and failure. I think this is fascinating. A Princeton Seminary professor studied great preachers across the centuries. And the subjects, the people he studied, had a wide range of gifts and personalities. Many of them were very, very different. The reason he did the study is he wanted to know why they were so successful as pastors. They would get up and preach. They, They had great impact. He wanted to know why. So he looked at hundreds of years of these people. Lots of people. And so he did this exhaustive study, and after years of research, this is what he came up with. He discovered that their effectiveness effectiveness lay not in their giftings and personalities, but in their attitude of cheerfulness. Their attitude. That's what set them apart. It wasn't their giftedness. It wasn't how fun, excited, none of those things matter. It wasn't how smart they were. It's, it, was their chif- it was the attitude that they had. It's fascinating to me. Let's look at truth number four. Our attitude at the beginning of a, ta- a task will affect its outcome more than anything else. Our attitude at the beginning of a task will affect its outcome more than anything else. How many of you have been in a meeting, maybe in a classroom if you're a student today, and whoever was presenting the information, you could tell they didn't like what the information was. They had gone to the office, they had sat in a meeting, and somebody said, I need you to go and, and, get, and report this to your people. And they walked in there, and it was basically something like this. <laughs> well... Your insurance premiums are going to go up 23%. And I think this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. But you're just going to have to suck it up and deal with it. Have a good day. You ever been in a meeting like that? You could tell the person presenting the information had a bad attitude. So what did that do to everybody else in the room? It it put that bad attitude on everybody else. You go, Pastor, why is that important? This is the big takeaway today. Every one of you folks is a thermometer. Okay? You're like those air conditioning units up there. You set temperature. When you walk into the room, what happens? Not a thermometer. What is it? What, Josh? Thermostat. Carol, is that right? Okay. I concur. (laughs) You're not a thermometer. You're a thermostat. Thank you. Because I look around, y'all going, that idiot, what's he doing? He doesn't know what he's doing. (laughs) You're a thermostat. You set the temperature. Ask yourself this question. When you walk in a room, what changes? 
When you walk in, are people glad to see you? Or does the room start to clear out? That's a hard question. But it's life. And if you find yourself being that person today that you realize you're changing the temperature, but it's not a good thing, then buy yourself a thermometer. That's the other part. I don't know. <laughs> but you need, you, you got to get that right. Y'all, folks, this, this is life. You say, what else does that mean? When you walk through Walmart and you see that person coming, you go, oh, no. I'm going to the fruit aisle. You know what I mean? You know. Are you that person? We've got to change some things, folks. It's not supposed to be that way. Look at number five, truth number five. Our attitude can turn our problems into blessings. What? Our attitude can turn our problems into blessings. J. Sidlow Baxter writes, Every opportunity has a difficulty, and every difficulty has an opportunity. In other words, greatness is typically formed in the midst of trouble or challenges. Now, I asked this question first service, and I'm going to ask it this service because... I'm hoping you guys make me feel better than first service did. How many cowboy fans are in the room? Let me see your hands. Thank you. So there were boos. Yeah, I'll deal with you later. <laughs> Wayne, I'll cut you some slack. I know you're a Green Bay fan, right? Here's the deal. First service, there were like 60 people in here and not one cowboy fan. I went to Chuck Fancher, my go-to guy. I said, Chuck, are you a cowboy fan? Uh, no. I mean, it was not, it was, I had no help. I had to pray for 30 minutes in between services to get my heart right for those heathens in first service, okay? <laughs> Whether you're a cowboy fan or not, that's not the point today. But the Cowboys quarterback right now is a rookie named Dak Prescott. Dak was the quarterback for Mississippi State. He was just drafted this year. He was drafted in the fourth round. He was overlooked by every team. The Cowboys drafted him in the fourth round as a third-string quarterback, if he could make it. When Dak was in college, his mother was diagnosed with cancer, and she passed away while he was in school. And it was devastating to him because Dak grew up without a father, his mom was his world, and she passed away. And in the crucible of that time, he began to continue to form who he was going to be. And if you ever watch Dak Prescott, whenever he makes a good play, he looks up. He plays for his mom. He calls his mom's cell phone still and leaves her a voicemail. His attitude could have been devastated, but he chose a different route. And now he's leading the Cowboys, that team many of you don't like. Six and one as rookies, he's setting all kinds of records. It shouldn't happen, but his attitude's right. Amen? <laughs> Jim, I'll see you Tuesday at 2 o'clock in my office, and we will... There may be a taser involved, <laughs> but I see your shirt. You're Minnesota Viking. Lord bless him and heal him because he needs your help. 
But get this, folks. I mean, really, get this. Greatness is formed in struggle. And that should encourage some of you. Because some of you have gone through it. Some of you are going through hell. But are you going to choose to trust God? Really? Or are you going to fold? Because your response to that, Crystal's response, I mean, that's amazing to me. She had a choice to make. Am I going to let God in and heal me, or am I going to allow this situation to make me a statistic? And if you're the one today, this message is for you. Just like, I love stories like that where Crystal said, I came and I heard a sermon. There are times I go, Lord, let somebody hear this. And you never know, that's why I'm praying for the one. Are you the one today? That from now on, everything can be different because God is speaking to you. Just to you. And you're being honest with yourself today. And you say, you know what? Maybe my attitude's not everybody else's fault. Maybe it's my choice. See, it breaks my heart when I hear the stories of brokenness that people have to deal with. And abuse and abandonment and addiction. And I understand the pain that's caused by that. But that doesn't have to define who you are. Jesus died to set you free and he died to heal you, but you've got to let him. And those of you that have that wall built up, you need to understand you can trust God. And I know that may be scary for you because like Crystal, you feel like, where was he? He's there. But you've got to let him. And your greatness will be formed in the struggle that you're in if you'll allow God to use it. If you'll allow Him to use it. Here's number six. I'm almost done. I've got two more. This one and one more. Our attitude can give us an uncommonly positive perspective. One of my favorite stories in the Bible, one of the first stories we probably all remember as kids, if you went to Sunday school, was David and Goliath, right? David and Goliath. Little David, big Goliath. And, and, and understand, the, one of the many amazing things about that story is that when David showed up, the armies had been there for a few days, and Goliath would literally walk out in front of the army of Israel, a whole army of trained warriors, many of them trained warriors, and he would challenge them to send somebody to fight him. And they wouldn't go because they were scared of him. Like Minnesota is scared of Dallas. (laughs) Sorry, Jim, I got the mic, brother. That's what happens when you show me that jersey. (laughs) But I want you to listen to this. Listen to this. Imagine you're in the army and every day this giant walks out. And he's challenging you. The soldiers thought, Goliath's too big, we can never kill him. But when David showed up, David said, the giant's so big, I can't miss him. See the difference? See, many of you right now, one of the things about attitude that's so interesting, remember I talked about your attitude, good or bad, is the rudder of your life. It dictates the direction that you go. And if I were to ask you some of the challenges that drive that direction, you would begin to tell me about these challenges you're facing. 
This is my mountain. This is my giant. This is the lion that I'm facing. This is why my attitude is the way that it is. But that's not the right way to think. See, as Christians, we don't need to be telling God about our mountains. We need to be telling our mountains about our God. Because, see, when Jesus died, everything went underneath his feet. Abuse, addiction, abandonment, hopelessness. He is our hope. But we have to let him have that place. Here's number seven, and I'm going to close. Truth number seven, axiom seven. Our attitude is not automatically good just because we're Christians. <laughs> Say that again. Our attitude is not automatically good just because we're Christians. How many of you know Christians with bad attitudes? Again, don't point, please. That's rude, people. Man, Tina. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> No, but just because you get saved doesn't automatically mean you have a good attitude. Years and years ago, so long ago you wouldn't know who it was, so don't even try to guess. I had a lady in my office, and she wanted to talk about her husband. So we talked, and we began to pray, and, and, and we, we really got down to the heart of the matter, and we began to pray and give the situation that she was dealing with to God. And, and she laid it at the cross, and we finished praying, and she goes, but, but, and she began to rehearse the problem all over again. And so I let that go on for about 30 seconds, and I said, let's lay it at the cross again. So we prayed again, and we laid it at the cross. I thought, surely... She figured it out this time. Amen. But I'm a patient, loving person. But in that moment, and I know this was the Spirit of God speaking, I looked at her and I said, you don't want to be healed. How could a pastor say that? It was true. I said, you don't want to be healed. I said, you're comfortable with your problem. The attitude that you have, you're choosing to keep. See, those words, but, meant you haven't let it go. The Bible tells us to cast our cares on the Lord. That means no buts. And we leave them there. So for those of you that are here today, and you say, but, you're not really trusting God. And I'm telling you that because I love you, and I don't want you to keep dealing with what you're dealing with, but you've got to know the truth, because the Bible tells us that you'll know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. It'll set you free. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Come on up, Wes. Here's the thing. I love you guys so much. And here's how you know I love you. I'm not even mad that you aren't Cowboy fans. I do question your salvation, but I'm not mad. 
(laughs) But here's the thing. I don't want you to be broken anymore. See, I don't want you to deal with the same things next year that you're dealing with this year. I don't want your attitude to keep putting you in a ditch. I don't want you to jump from job to job and it's everybody else's fault. That's for somebody, by the way. I'm not trying to be mean. See, Jesus would tell people the truth. And it wasn't because he was trying to make them feel bad. He wanted to show them the truth so that they could be healed. And my desire for you today, if you're the one, is that you'll allow God and be honest with yourself and with him. Stop blaming everybody else. Stop using the but. And surrender. And allow God to begin to heal your heart like Crystal did. And I'm so proud of you. More importantly, he is. And Aaron, I'm proud of you. And that's why I'm proud of you, because he looks at me like, what did I do? I'd have said, yeah, I know. (laughs) It's a good family to be in, folks. Good family. Let's, Let's all bow our heads this morning. Are you the one today? that God hand-selected to be here because He wants you to be healed and He wants you to be free. He wants you to stop blaming everybody else and allow Him to heal you. Nobody looking around. If you're here today, And God's speaking to you in this message. And you realize there are some things in your life that you need to surrender to Him. Maybe there's hardness in your heart like Crystal talked about. Maybe there's unforgiveness. Maybe there's something that's holding on to to you, but you're holding on to it. But today you want to surrender it. Just slip your hand up and say, Pastor, it's me. hands went up all over the place it's awesome tell you what I'm going to do if you raised your hand or if you didn't but you know you need to pray I want to invite you to come stand down here in front of the communion table and I'm going to pray for you just real quick step out and come down If you're tired of the same old, same old, if you're tired of things being the way they've always been, then let's make a change today. Let's choose today to let it go. Amen. Father, today we just thank you for your presence. We thank you for your love for us, Lord, and all that you've given us. And let's all pray this together. There's some folks raise their hand, they're not down here. So let's just all pray this together. Lord Jesus, today, 
you've spoken to me. So I'm asking you to heal me. Heal my heart. I know you can. And I need you. In your name. Amen. How do we keep it there? Stay close to him. For those of you like Crystal that were mad at him, I get that. Because we misunderstand him. But let me tell you something, folks. God loves you so much, he's willing for you to misunderstand his love for you because he's a good parent. But he wants your good. He does. And he loves you enough to allow you to be mad at him because he's taking care of you. You understand that? You just got to draw close to him. Amen. Let's give these folks a hand for coming up. That's awesome. You guys all stand up this morning. Chloe, it's good to see you. Take your neighbor's hand, please. Let's all pray together. Lord, I pray you bless everybody here today. Father, I thank you for your word and your truth. Lord, help us to receive it. And I pray that you've planted some seeds in our heart today, Father, that will help us. And Lord, I thank you and I believe that you're going to just empower these messages so that it'll help us change our attitude, which will change our life, which will change our family, which will change our community and our country. But it starts with us. Father, as we leave this place, we know we're walking into a world that are a lot of challenges. Lord, help us to be lights in very dark places so that people would see your love in us, Lord, and they would be drawn to you as we glorify you. And I thank you for that, Father. Bless us as we go today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, All right, turn to five people, tell them, Go Cowboys. Y'all have a good day. (laughs)